0: I know a place where we can go To lay the troubles down in your soul This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs Now, your host, Eric Cartier Senior pastor of Rocky Mountain Calvary Church
1: Like a tide, it
2: From the crosswalk. This is Pastor Eric Cartier. Thanks so much for joining me. Hope you're having a great Wednesday afternoon as you're driving down the road. Really excited about today's show. I uh, have Jason Churchill with me and Kurt Eichley. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Uh, they pastor at Hope uh, Chapel and really excited to have them come in and share. Kurt and I know each other from going to the same gym uh, together, Trinity Fitness. Just got to meet uh, Jason today. So thank you both for coming in. How are you doing this afternoon?
3: Doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's
1: been a wonderful day.
2: That's awesome. So one of the things that I love to do on this show is just to, to get pastors in and, and share what God's doing in the community and in the city. And you guys have the joy of uh, pastoring at, at Hope Chapel. And, and maybe let's start with your pastoral structure because it's so unique and I think it's really cool. But uh, would you guys mind sh- uh, sharing for me how you're set up pastorally?
1: Sure. So um, back in 2006, we actually went through a process where we replanted as a church. And when we replanted, one of the things that's important to us is we saw in Scripture the idea of a, uh, a group of elders that led co-equally. And so we made a shift from a senior pastor and, you know, some say a junior pastor model, but we just said we're going to go to a flat leadership. And so we have the privilege, four of us as elders, co-leading um, each using the gifts and abilities that we've been given by God in those particular areas, um, and helping one another to really carry that burden and share that burden together.
2: That's awesome.
3: How about you, Jason? How, how does that work out for you? How do you like that? And It's been great. I, I love the accountability aspect of it. Um, I remember when we first heard of Hope Chapel when we were at another church at the time, and um, hearing of this flat leadership model, and we said, "Man, that sounds incredible!" Because uh, there's that accountability between pastors, and and I love it as a pastor to be able to have the three other guys as as my elders, as my pastors as well. And so, I've really enjoyed that aspect of the leadership model.
2: That's great. So, how does it work out teaching wise? I would imagine you you share the teaching, and are you guys on a teaching schedule?
3: We do. Um, I, I currently compose the, key, the teaching schedule, but all four of us preach, and um, it's not quite a one-on-one-off type thing, um, but it, it's a pretty shared shared table, I guess it's the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of us preach.
1: And so different from maybe your own uh, experience where you think about the year, what does this look like, Uh, one of the challenges is that you have four of us who are helping guide and helping lead. And so we go through a process where we try to discern where is the Spirit moving, and we talk through, okay, if that's the case, then where should we be? Um, One of the things we did is we put in a framework a few years back where we're actually working through Scripture um, every three years, making sure we're getting through the entirety of, of the Bible in terms of genre. So it's equal. So we're getting through all six genres over a period of three years, making sure that everyone understands how do you see Christ throughout all of scripture. Yeah. And so that helps guide our direction because it's not just one person really thinking through that and discerning and listening to the Lord. It's all four of us.
2: That's great. I I love that of, of looking at the Bible in entirety, looking at the different sections of the Bible and how it all points uh, to Jesus. And mm-hmm. you guys, it looks like from your website, you go through books of the Bible and, and teaching through books of the Bible. Is that correct?
3: We, we try to overall. Um, so some books are larger than others. So we, yeah. <laughs> we undertook Isaiah and Deuteronomy in the last couple of years. But uh, being that we want to um, cover the New Testament and we want to cover the different genres, um, covering all of Deuteronomy at one time would take a couple years, I would imagine. So um, we, we break it up into chunks so that people are getting the historical and getting the prophetic and, and getting the New Testament. And uh, But we, we will eventually make it all the way through Isaiah and all the way through Deuteronomy. Uh, we just did finish all of Ephesians because, of course, it's a shorter chunk.
2: Yeah, that's a big undertaking, Isaiah and Deuteronomy. those Those are long books. I could see where you do some summarizing there uh, for sure. So, what would you guys say of your model is maybe your greatest joy and your biggest challenge? You know, one thing that comes to mind is we're really seeing pastors burn out. You know, mm-hmm. and that was happening prior to COVID, and mm-hmm. there's even more stress as you guys know since the pandemic. And, and I would imagine that plurality of uh, leadership helps lend itself to not burning out as as much. Would you say? Um, But what, love to hear your thoughts on, on what maybe your greatest joys of the model, some of the challenges that you've experienced with, with the model.
1: Go ahead, buddy.
3: Oh, I get to go first. (laughs) You do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The greatest joy um, I would say is the relationship that we experience with one another. Uh, The, the ability, like you said, to not burn out, to know that, I can hand something off to Mm. any of the other guys and make sure that it's going to get done, make sure that it's going to be done well. Um, The inherent trust that we have for one another and to make sure that that the ministry is not going to be set aside if I am sick or if I'm going through something or if I need to go somewhere, um, that I have these three men who will hold hold me up, hold my arms up. You were talking a little bit Mm. earlier with us about uh, upholding our arms, and, Mm. and it truly is... That kind of a model that that uh, that is a wonderful joy for me.
1: Hmm. Um, I would say for me, the joy is really in not just knowing that you have someone that you're walking with, you also have someone that you know is um, making up your deficiencies. Mm-hmm. That's good. When I, when I think about you know the the stress that you have and and the role that you play, you have fifteen, sixteen, seventeen different hats that oftentimes congregations expect you to be able to be excellent at all of those things. And I know that I don't have anywhere near that skill set, And so I'm thankful for the other men who make up that difference. Um, And it allows me to really explore my strengths rather than just be, continue to be burdened by those things that I'm deficient in.
2: Yeah,
3: that's really good. That's great. Any challenges? Any? Oh, there are many, many challenges. (laughs) Um, I would say... With a flat leadership, it it takes longer to make decisions.
2: Okay, yeah.
3: And so the things that you want to get accomplished don't get accomplished as quickly. Um, And we actually just uh, were undergoing some structural changes within the leadership team to assign different tasks to different men within the leadership team, within the eldership team, uh, to make sure that those things were getting done because it was just taking too long, we felt, to uh, make sure that... Everything that we wanted to get done got done. And so I would say that the decision-making process is a little bit slower, um, and that's one of the biggest ones for myself.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, we all know that God loved the world, and he didn't send a committee to rescue us. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Um, at the same time, he also in Scripture says that we are to co-lead and mm-hmm. and find those um, one another's and I think oftentimes we just apply it to the one another's congregationally. Yeah. And um, but the challenge between us is that we all may agree on the end result, but how we get there, each one of us would do it very differently. And so who gets to make that decision on the how? And how do you show deference to one another in those areas and say, it's okay to go that direction. And yet at the same time, if you have that strong sense of, no, I think this is the, how we need to go. It really is having to use influence and education and relationship to be able to say, guys, I think this is where we really need to be. And so it just takes longer, but I'm grateful it takes longer.
3: Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing as well, because you get more voices. Yeah. And and I tend, can, tend to get trapped in my own head and my own ideas. And so to be able to bounce the ideas off of these other guys and, and have them bounce their ideas back, and it just makes this more full-orbed idea that I often don't see. Like, wow, that's incredible. I would have never even thought about that. And so it's such a beautiful thing in being able to have those conversations and know more of what God is, is saying through these men to make these decisions. That,
2: one thing I think is it's really awesome about it is how much disunity there is for the world to see unity in your guys' leadership. So we're going to head to a break. We'll be right back. So stay with us.
0: 100.7 The Word. He makes way the rain.
2: Welcome back to Crosswalk. This is Pastor Eric Cartier. Thanks so much for joining me. I have Jason Churchill and Kirk Eichley with me, elders from Hope Chapel, and we were talking about their plurality of leadership and how God has used that in their church. They're located on Vickers and Academy. You can also go to their website, hopechapelcs.org. I've enjoyed getting to know uh, Jason today and have known Kurt for a while. And and Jason, you were sharing with me just before uh, the show Uh, some challenges that you've had with your health and how God's used that in your life and in pastoring. And if you don't mind, would you mind sharing that uh, journey with us?
3: Absolutely. Um, Back in, well, I used to be a construction worker, so I was a sheet metal worker, a tenor, um, for many, many years. And um, there was a year that all of a sudden I began having a difficult time holding a nail uh, with my hand. And I thought, well, that's very weird. And we, we thought all kinds of things and, and so went in for testing. And uh, after about a year and a half of testing, mm. um, they came back with a diagnosis of um, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. Um, famous people who have had it are obviously Lou Gehrig and, and mm. Stephen Hawking. Um, and so that was back in 2016, March of 2016, that I was diagnosed with ALS. It is considered a terminal illness, um, it's essentially my spinal cord has stopped talking to different muscles in my body. Okay. And so those muscles no longer get the uh, energy and the food and the um, electrical signals that they want to have, and so those muscles begin to deteriorate. So it's uh, slower for some people and faster for others. It's been very slow for me. God has been very kind in um, me still being here after six years of diagnosis. Mm. Uh, it's a pretty rare thing to see somebody... Uh, after six years being in the condition that I am. But I am still able to walk, and, and my lungs seem to be good, and my, and my speech is still good. So mm. um, the, the difficult parts are my my middle extremities. My arms uh, don't work too well. I, I type one finger at a time uh, standing above my keyboard these days. Mm. Um, makes it very difficult. I, I can't grasp things. I can't hold uh, forks and knives and spoons and all of All the fun stuff like that that we're used to.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing, Jason. You know, it's when you shared that with me just a moment ago, it's just so sobering and amazing to see you persevering and and loving the Lord and and serving the Lord. And it's it's a real uh, testimony to God's grace and strength uh, in in your life. And um, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm so thankful for your testimony.
3: It it really is. He's been so kind to me. you know when you first get uh, such a catastrophic um, diagnosis it's it wakes you up, it makes you face death and mm-hmm. and say where where am I at what am I doing um, am I right with the lord obviously um, but what am I trying to accomplish in life, and how well am I doing at at it and so um I was able to god God graced me with being able to get disability. Pretty quickly, it's one of the very few diseases out there that uh, disability comes fast, and it came fast for us. And so um, I was able to get out of the construction industry. My son was incredible during that time. He he took the business from me and was able to supply for our family for wow. um, several years there. And, and hmm. so uh, he's just such such a man of God and was such a blessing to us um, in, in being able to care for the family when I did not have the physical ability to anymore. Um, And what has happened since then is it has has given me more time to focus on ministry, on preaching, on Hope Chapel, and caring for Mm -hmm. the people of the church, and um, just being able to have that quote-unquote full-time position, even though it's not a full-time position, I can dedicate full-time hours to ministry and to care for people who are hurting. I mean, there's people all all over the world that are are hurting. There are people in Colorado Springs who... Um, have all kinds of diagnoses and, and pain and suffering that they're going through. And there's so much adversity. And um, I think it's given me a, a pulpit to stand on just with that and being able to encourage people with the love of God and, and to show them his sovereignty and his kindness and his comfort and his care as he walks with us through the pain. He never told us that we're not going to experience pain. Yeah, He told us that he would walk with us through the pain. and um, that is a big part of this is is the destination is already set we mm-hmm. we all know the destination,, yeah. but it's the journey to the destination that is that question and will we walk our journey with Christ because he's there he's there to strengthen me, and um when when it gets frustrating and when I have difficulties doing the normal things that we all take for granted in life, and I get frustrated he's he's there to stand by my side and to comfort me and to love. Me and and to care for me and and obviously my my wife and and my kids Jennifer my wife um, I, I think it was probably more difficult for her to hear the diagnosis yeah than it was for me and my children as yeah, well yeah absolutely and uh, the struggle that they had to go through and and God's comfort for them along the way has been amazing as well
2: yeah how many kids do you have Jason we have four okay. four children
3: um, twenty five down to eighteen okay. What
2: really stood out to me as you were sharing is, we know the destination as believers, but it's the in between, it's the journey, and the question is, are we going to walk with Jesus mm-hmm. through that uh, that journey? And that's that's a powerful testimony. I'm sure there's several people listening right now that you know have a a diagnosis that's just rocking their world, you know, and you're really speaking right to them uh, this afternoon. You know,
3: yeah. yeah. The, one of the things I'm preparing this week for my sermon is is I'm talking about the gap between promise and reality. Mm. Um, and it's a concept I heard of several years ago, and it's really true. We're in the gap. We're sitting in the middle of a gap, and we have the promise, and yet we're not yet experiencing the realization of the promise. Yeah. And so how do we live with that realization in 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 our view, in our focus, um, the realization that Christ is going to come and he's going to take us and, and uh, he's going to walk with us along the way too, though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think of Abraham and Sarah, they had this promise of a child, but there was this gap of all this time before that took place, but Abraham continued to believe the promise. It still affected his daily reality. He didn't waver, which was amazing. Yes. You know? yeah, it was incredible. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing uh, your story, Jason. And, and Kurt, do you mind sharing a little bit of what daily life's like for you? I know you're bivocational. Uh, God's blessed you with several uh, children. You know, observing your life from a distance, I've often wondered, how do you juggle it all? So how do you do it all?
1: Um, you have to get really good at wearing different hats at different times. Um, you know, having the privilege to both serve and care for people pastorally, that is a calling. It never leaves you. And so I actually get to see that in the in the workplace with my role, uh, quote-unquote, professionally, I get to pastor people there as well. Mm. And so it's not something that you ever step away from. Um, I think the the, the benefit is that um, because there are two distinct poles in one sense, um, it actually has prevented either one of them from becoming my identity. Mm, And so often, whether it's in the workplace or, or as a pastor, you can allow that thing to become defining who you are. And so because there's two sides to it, um, God's very kind in the sense that generally when, when w- you might be struggling in one, I know that I can go to the men and say, hey, here's what's going on. At the same time, when life rocked our world to get us to a point where we were at, I also had this stability that was in the workplace that allowed me to say, okay, God kind of keeps that foundation. And in both cases, it pointed back to his kindness in providing stability, where stability isn't necessarily seen. Mm,
2: That's really good. So God's really used it to really balance your identity and allow your identity to be found in him as opposed to what you do.
1: Yeah. Correct. And, you know, oftentimes you say, what is that prioritization? You have a relationship with the Lord. And I found myself, when I wasn't serving in this type of capacity, you know, 25 years ago— it was the Lord, and then it was work. Right. And even after I got married, it was still the Lord, and it was work, and then then you have your marriage. Yeah. And it was as I made that shift into bivocational pastoral ministry and then working in the workplace that I realized it was really the Lord, then it was my responsibility to lead my bride, and then my family, and then it was the church.
2: Yeah, that's good.
1: And that helped.
2: That's awesome. You're listening to Crosswalk on 100.7. We'll be
0: right back. Stay with us. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs true. on 100.7, The Word. The voice of truth says do not be afraid. And the voice of truth.
2: Welcome back to Crosswalk. I have Jason Churchill with me and Kirk Eichley with me, elders of Hope Chapel, and we've been enjoying hearing about their lives, hearing about Hope Chapel. And guys, looking at your webpage, it was really clear uh, to me that you guys are encouraging people to get involved in fellowship, biblical relationship, uh, do the one another that we were talking about uh, together. Could you guys kind of share your philosophy on that as a leadership and kind of speak into? Those that are listening today, you know, they may be going, I believe in Christ, but I've been burned by the church or don't, don't really have the time. You know, why would I make it a point to be committed to a local fellowship? Like, what would you speak into that?
1: Mm, I, I think if somebody is listening and they've been burned by the church, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm sorry, honestly. Because when we look at Christ's life and Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ— As a leader in the church, it's our responsibility to ensure that people aren't burned by the church. At the same time, we're sinners, and sinners naturally sin against one another. And so oftentimes we'll say that it's quite possible we're going to unintentionally cause hurt. Yeah. Um, And so for us, we actually try to take uh, some—we do some things as a plurality of elders that actually helps us unnecessarily—from that unnecessary hurt that we might cause potentially by saying something, using an illustration that might, you know, bring some things up that we weren't aware of, but one of the elders do. So that's one of the things that, that, that we help with. Um, but I think the second side is that while that's the case, that's the experience that somebody's had, I've been hurt, or it's not necessarily for me. Um, if you're looking in scripture, it's really hard to point to a place that says, hey, um, I'm saving you, but I'm saving you to be isolated. Right. Because what you see in Scripture is that any time we're isolated is when the enemy actually has the greatest opportunity to infiltrate our hearts and actually start causing us to walk in a way that doesn't bring honor and glory to God.
2: Yeah, that's really good. I, that's so powerful, you know, as the gospel saves us, our belief in Christ's death and resurrection, He he's bringing us into the light and he's taking us out of isolation. So as a believer, uh, if we're in isolation, it's not mm-hmm. it's not where God would have us to be, and and yet it's where we find ourselves uh, sometimes, if, for sure. Uh, Jason, your thoughts on fellowship and being connected to a local church?
3: Um, I think it's, it's just a common experience of human beings to experience um, hurt and pain no matter what relationships that we're in. Um, it is a part of reality, and Anybody who we are going to get close enough to to be loved, um, we're getting close enough to to be hurt by as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also need to understand that that is that is why we need love. Mm -hmm. Um, We need people to love us and we need to be vulnerable enough to know that they can hurt us. And when they do, how do we respond? And that's where our relationship with Christ comes in. And. Christ gave us the church. Mm -hmm. He gave us the people of the church to um, give us the hands, the physical hands that we so often don't experience with he himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, they become his instruments of love to us. And we need that instrument of love. We need those instruments of love. Um, And unfortunately, like Kurt said, everybody's a sinner. And so people are not going to treat us the way we want to be treated. People are going to treat us in a way that hurts us. And yet uh, those are the very same people that God has put in our lives to give us his care. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a difficult place to be, but it's the biblical place to be. I was just having a conversation with someone today um, about this and about them wanting to do church without people. Oh, I can watch online. Why can't I watch online? That's what I do. I said, because you need the people. And not only do you need the people, but the people of the body of Christ need you. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. right.
1: Yeah. And we were given gifts for the edification of the body. Right. And if we're not connected, the gifts, Eric, that you have are never experienced by the rest of the body. And, and that's a challenge because we need those gifts. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about you're 27 years old when you're placed in a position where you're, you're called to lead. Well, that happened because at some point you made a decision that you're going to be involved, and those leaders around you recognized the gifts that you were given, and they were able to raise you up and put there. And I look at the lives in in this community that have been changed by your faithful service, and that would have never happened if you were sitting on the sidelines.
2: That's a really good point, Kurt, to know God has given every believer gifts. You know, I I think— some people listening would go, oh yeah, you guys have been giving gifts, you're pastors or whatever. But the reality of it is, is we're normal guys that are sinners saved by grace. And mm-hmm. the Bible tells us that with our salvation came gifts. God has given to us uh, spiritual gifts that are to be used for the edification of, of the body. So when a believer is not connected to a body and committed in serving, that, that body misses out and that individual misses out. And what you were saying, Jason... The, the bodies, the hands and feet of Jesus. So many times God has ministered his love to me, sometimes even his correction to me through brothers and sisters in 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 Christ. And mm-hmm. so as you're listening today, if, it, if this hits home for you where you're like, man, I, I don't have a home church. Maybe you've been going online, but you haven't been uh, in person. I think all three of us would encourage you, You know, find a home church here in the city. There's a lot of great churches uh, to go to. That teach the word, that love Jesus, that are committed to the gospel, but uh, it's not a time to be isolated. It's not a time mm-hmm. to, be, to be alone, um, and the, the body needs you, and you need the body, for sure.
1: That's absolutely right. One of the things we say, I and mean, we have a, a rather extensive membership program um, mm-hmm. uh, to, to help un- individuals understand, like, what are you going to experience here? But one of the things we talk about is that we don't expect um, everyone to become a member of Hope Chapel. But our prayer is that no matter where you are on the spectrum, we want you to become part of a church that you can call your home, where you can invest and be a part of.
2: Yeah, because there's kind of a, a couple of different processes. One is like, okay, I'm I'm not going to church. I'll, I'll start going, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's a step. And then at some point you commit, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like, I this is my church home. I'm I'm going to serve. I'm I'm also going to you know place myself under the the leadership of the, the elders and pastors of mm-hmm. of of this uh, church and and that that last step of commit sometimes can be be difficult but i think that's where a lot of the fruit comes from there's some people at RMC that have stuck with us for a lot of years through a lot of really hard things and i'm so thankful for them because their stability their prayers their mm-hmm. giving god's used that to really keep mm-hmm. RMC uh, alive, you know, but commitment in our culture can go pretty shallow, you know. Um, and so, being committed to a local body of believers and and seeing it through the ups and the downs and and experiencing some hardship is is all part of the process, and it's beautiful over time, you know.
1: It really, is that difference between being committed and receiving something? Going on a Sunday, going on a Wednesday to simply receive. Or saying, I'm committed and I am going to invest. I am no longer going to be simply consuming, but I am going to be contributing to what's going on. And really, that's what he's called us to, to a contributor mentality. Yeah. One thing I'm
2: seeing happen, I think, through COVID and kind of now being where we are in that journey is, as people seem to be really excited to be in church and be in fellowship, and I think even in my own life, it renewed and refreshed the commitment of fellowship. Mm. It was like, oh, this is so great to be together with believers. And maybe I took it a little bit for granted prior, but it does seem that the people that are coming to churches are really excited to be there and plug in. And
3: are you guys experiencing that as well? Absolutely. Um, it, was, it was difficult, wasn't it? Yeah. The, those six or eight or 10 or 12 whatever weeks that uh, we weren't getting together with the body on a Sunday morning. And uh, truly, at that point, went, wow, um, I see for the first time perhaps the importance of the people, the body of Christ, of a touch, of a smile, of of a handshake, of um, having someone
0: face-to-face. You're
2: listening to Crosswalking. We're going to head to a break. Please stay with us.
0: Crosswalk Colorado Springs on 100.7. The Word.
2: Welcome back to Crosswalk. This is Pastor Eric Cartier from Rocky Mountain Calvary. Thanks for joining me on Tuesdays and Wednesdays as we focus on Colorado Springs and Southern Colorado. I have Jason Churchill and Kurt Eichley with me from Hope Chapel, and we're just having a a wonderful conversation about the importance of fellowship. And just during the break, we were kind of processing, you know, online services, live streaming. Uh, It does provide an opportunity to be a bridge uh, for people to be reached, Uh, but If it becomes a replacement, that's not what God intended church to be when we open the scriptures, you know? And so as pastors, we have this tension of using online and tech as a tool to reach people, but not wanting to see it keep people away from being in-person services. And and Jason, you had some really good thoughts about that with with young people and where they're getting their theology. and, And would you mind sharing that with us?
3: Uh, yeah, I've been reading several books just recently, and uh, the books have been about uh, what they call digital Babylon. And it's simply the, the amount of information that our children are getting from the Internet far outweighs the amount of information they're getting from a church on any given Sunday. Um, and so how do we counteract something like that? Well, it's it's personal relationship. It's it's investment in time because a device can't be that for you. A device can answer your questions, but there's a million answers out there. And whose answer are we going to get? Who do we trust? And how do we know who to trust? And, and all of that, whereas when we have the fellowship that we're talking about, when we have people within the body of Christ, when we have relationship with one another, we can turn to someone we know we can trust with the answers.
2: Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah.
3: That relationship is so important
2: because you you can't duplicate that uh, online. And and that's where, I think that's what young people are really craving. I, I know the young adults at our church uh, vocalize like, hey, we wish more from the older generation would come and invest in us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we think as the older generation, like, oh, they don't want to be around us. They don't, we don't relate to them. But I, I think especially like high school and college age kids are longing for the, the older generation to spend time with them and mentor them because they don't have that in their life. You know?
1: Amen. Yeah. I think there's a lot of decisions that we make that if we just had one person who was willing to walk beside us during those seasons where we're trying to make decisions, we likely would have made a different decision. But a lot of times we're trying to make decisions on our own. We've, we, we've adopted this, I'm independent and whether it's because of a failure of somebody before to to actually help when asked or it's just we've never experienced it, when they see it it's like well now how do i how do I get to spend time with you more often because that was helpful now, give me more, I want more
2: yeah, I remember like going to Bible college and then doing a school ministry had a lot of good training in all of that, and when that was done, I served at a small church in Nampa, Idaho. And the pastor, his name was Rich Wright, he was like in his mid-60s, and he just spent a lot of time with me, mm-hmm. and asked me questions, and he challenged me, things that he saw. There's a big difference between having a teacher and a spiritual father, mm-hmm. and he really gave me that extra care that I couldn't get in a Bible college or in a in a school of ministry, and that filled in a lot of gaps uh, that I really needed in my early 20s, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And that's part of what we've been talking about with not just receiving from the body, but also giving to. Yeah. And it's that relationship aspect that you can disciple someone as well as being discipled by someone. And it's that relationship, and it's someone walking with you through the pain and and comforting you in in the sorrows and the adversities and and rejoicing with you in the good times that, Mm -hmm. that a digital screen can never provide for us. What would you
2: say to someone who's listening that's like, okay, I get the message, I need to be in a local church. Uh I where do where do what do I do? You know, say they come into Hope Hope Chapel, they come into RMC. You know, how would you encourage them to, how can they overcome that barrier to allow it to become a
1: home? You mm. Um you know, I think there's a couple of ways that they can do it. Number one um, I've watched somebody walk into a men's group and basically just share their entire story. Mm. That was not normal. Like That's, yeah, not, yeah. that's not where most people start. Yeah. But I'm grateful because it actually allowed the men to come around and say, okay, now we know how to care for you. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of, one of the ways it's helpful is to, to try to find someone and be willing. Inst- what, I, what I often see is people come in, they sit down, and they're almost expecting people to kind of descend upon them. Mm. Right and then so that and yes the the, the, the the local congregation should be paying attention, should be seeing those things, but oftentimes you're relational people, and so you're making eye contact with the person you're in discussion with. Um, we all know that if we're talking to somebody and every three seconds somebody's saying hi to someone else, you actually don't feel cared for. So, yeah. so in that environment, you'd hope that someone would be just making eye contact and carrying on that conversation. So there's a responsibility in the congregation to go say hi. But if you're new, find someone who's not in that congregation and introduce themselves. And maybe yeah. it's the question of, I'm curious, how long have you been coming? Right. I'm curious, what do you find helpful about being here? How would you describe this place? Because you can see it online. That might be something they say is, hey, I look online. It says this. I'm curious, does that really play out? Like, like help me understand, like, what's the fraud factor here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. That's really good. I, th- I think oh, we, all, we always want people to come to us, right? Mm-hmm. But being able to go to others, and I really see that at RMC. It's like people that take that step uh, to get into a connect group, you know, a home fellowship group, uh, to start serving, uh, those those are where the connections uh, are made. Uh, you you can go to a, a church here in the city for for years and attend a service and not make any relationships. It really takes that that next step into a men's study, a women's study, serving a home fellowship for it to start to become more personal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we are meeting this morning. We've been going through the 1689. Uh, confession for a number of years now we go just paragraph by paragraph and one of the things that one of the men had said was you know there's these four or five younger men that i've been reaching out to and it's been hard and they're they're newer to the church and it's been hard to make that connection and he says but but you got the guy at the end of the table there you know there's eight of us around the table and he goes he's been coming just on wednesday mornings he goes and i haven't reached out to him at all but I have a deeper relationship because he's been coming for the last five, six weeks to this men's study. Yeah. And it's actually built a relationship where I know what's going on in his life. And so despite the outreach effort that he was making to individuals who had been coming, it was the individual who said, I am going to leverage the context that the Mm -hmm. the body, the congregation has provided to build relationship.
2: Yeah, that's really good. That's great. You know and what comes to my mind is the old saying it's hard to drive or steer a parked car right mm-hmm. you know like there's there's no momentum it's it's hard to steer uh, the wheel especially before power steering you know dates me a little bit but you know if there's movement and there's momentum then there can be steering mm-hmm. you know and so if if you move in the direction of being at a local church getting involved God will be faithful to start to steer and direct. And, and also, he'll give you wisdom of where to make adjustments. But if, if you don't make a move, if you stay at home, don't get into an in-person service, you're not going to experience that that move of God in your life as if you were to take that step of faith and step into fellowship.
1: So, And I would imagine yeah. in your own walk, you didn't start by preaching. Like, that right. wasn't your yeah. first step. Yeah. And so I think some people also come saying, okay, these are the gifts that I have and I want somebody to identify those gifts because that's the area I'm willing to serve. Right. Well, the, uh, unless you're actually demonstrating that gift in some way, it's really hard for leadership to say, hey, this person has the ability to teach, they have the ability to care, they have the ability to pre-, whatever those things are. And so... Come, find a way to get involved, let those gifts start, and then allow leadership to identify Mm -hmm. and recognize so then they can raise you up and place you in a position where that thing that you really want to be doing, you feel that God has, in fact, gifted you, can be used. That's great.
2: Well, guys, thanks so much for joining me. It was a blast talking with you. The Lord bless uh, Hope Chapel. If you want to check it out, hopechapelcs.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday.
3: Just don't get it
0: right. Where I talk, a talk that I don't walk, and miss the moments right before.